Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Meredith Salinger, who is an incredibly talented actress, best known in the Star Wars universe as the voice of Barriss Offee and numerous others in The Clone Wars and Rebels. But of course, she has appeared in so many incredible movies and TV shows, and it was a joy to talk with her about her career. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 115, Meredith Salinger. What inspired you to get into acting? What made you want to be an actor at you know, such a, a young age? Well, actually, I grew up in Malibu, California, and I went to elementary school with this little girl. Her name was Robin. Well, with these two twin girls, Robin and Rachel Bush, who played Carrie on Little House on the Prairie. I don't know okay. if you remember. Yeah. There were three sisters. There was Mary, then Half Pint, then Carrie was the little one. And I went to elementary school with these girls and I had a sleepover and I used to watch Little House on the Prairie all the time. And I was always just a little ham (laughs) (laughs) and um, they were actresses. I slept over and and the next morning I said to my mom, I'm like, I want to be an actress. And she was like, well, if you want to be an actress, you have to take acting class and all this and that. And And so we signed up for acting class and Robin and Rachel introduced me to their agent. And then she just like for me, it was very easy to get into it. Um, I was signed right away when I met their agent and went on a bunch of auditions and then auditioned for the movie Annie when I was 10 years old. It was a dance audition. And I have an older sister. She's 17 months older than me. And at the time, uh, my oh, my kitty's biting me at the moment. Stop it. Um. My sister was a great dancer and it was a dance audition. So I said to her, oh, come with me to the dance audition. But she's shy and she she wasn't trying to be in the movie or anything like that. But it, ultimately, they picked 15 girls and they picked my sister and they didn't pick me. And I was devastated, like heartbroken. And I went to go watch my sister film one day. And John Huston directed that movie, Annie. Right. And I was sitting like in the corner of the soundstage just watching her. And John Huston walked by <laughs> and he saw me just sitting there in the corner with my hand, you know, with my head in my hands. And he's like, hey, you, we needed another orphan. Come on. <laughs> and they put me in rags and put dirt on my face. And um, I ended up in the movie. And then that was sort of the beginning of my professional acting career. It's incredible. I mean, John Houston, you know, didn't really direct anything and not a big name. That's not a. No, no, no one knows who he is. No, that's so. But yeah, he he was like, you come on. And that's how I started. That's incredible. So, I mean, being a child actor going through all of that. And then, of course, you know, your your first, you know, major the journey of Natty Gann and going through that process and working with Disney and everything like that. How did you first get involved with that project and and kind of the start of, of that part of your your journey? After I did Annie, I went on a bunch of auditions and stuff like that. And then there was an audition for the journey of Natty Gann. And I think they had done like this huge talent search across America of like two, over 2000 girls. And I think I was one of the first girls they saw in Los Angeles and I auditioned and whatever, everything was normal and fine. And then I went off to camp for the summer. And then like, you know, two months after my first audition, I think I got, a, I was at camp and my mom, it was a sleepaway camp. Uh-huh. And my mom called and they're like, you need to leave. You need to go back home. You have a screen test for this thing. And after they had gone across the country, they came back to me and 
I did a screen test with John Cusack and, and that went well. And then they said, um, the director wants to have a meeting with you and the wolf. Cause they're, you know, the, the movie stars a wolf, just like all Disney movies. There's, it's like a boy and their dog. This is a girl and her wolf. And I went and met the director at, we were like at the base of this hike, this mountain. And I met Clint Rowe, who was the trainer for Jed, the wolf. And, and the director was just like, I just want you to go for a walk with the, with the wolf and me, and let's just talk. And we just went for, a, we went for a hike. Uh, after the hike was over, he's like, you got the part. I, I guess he wanted to see how I reacted with the animal. And, and then after that, everything sort of, things just got offered to me and I didn't really have to audition very much, but then I left, I left Hollywood to go to college. Right. Um, and I went to Harvard for four years, but I always knew that I wanted to be an actress. So I went to college, but my major was psychology and I was very interested in psychology and education is very important in my family. And it was definitely something I was interested in and wanting to learn, but I always knew I would come back to acting. Like that's just my passion. I love it. And then, you know, looking through your entire career, it's just the roles that you've taken are just so unique and, 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 and wonderful. And I'd, I'd love to just maybe touch on anything that has stuck out to you over the years, especially after you came back from Harvard and, you know, approaching more adult roles and, and kind of really coming into your own as, as an actress. And how is that for you kind of reentering the world of Hollywood? I, I started college in 1988. I graduated in 92. And during those four years, so much changed in the industry. It was very interesting. When I was younger, like before I went to college, you were either a movie star or you were a TV star. You didn't really do both. Like if you were in movies, you didn't do TV. And if you were in TV, you didn't really do movies. And then things started to change. I don't know if it was mad about you. I just remember Helen Hunt, who was a film actress, started to do TV. And it was like, wait, what? And then they started having all these new networks. I remember Fox came out. And 90210 was starting or there were a lot of things happening during those four years that changed the industry a lot. Mm -hmm. um, more, more networks, more, more content. And of course, I was changing. I wasn't a little girl anymore. Now I was like a young woman. But I did take four years off. And in Hollywood, that's a really long time. People are like, wait, who are you again? And whereas before I would get all these movies offered to me, um, I graduated and came back and people were like, well, you have to audition now. But things were like suddenly sitcoms were on the table. Whereas my agents would be like, no, 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 you can't do TV. Suddenly there were all these TV things to go up for. And it's a whole different style of acting, like sitcom acting. I remember, I, I think I auditioned for the Jennifer Aniston role in Friends. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, it was just a, such a different kind of acting. I, I was really, I don't know. I don't want to say like, super realist or any just very natural but this was like a different height and just like theater acting is different from film acting there's just a different energy behind your performance and I just didn't have that sitcom thing um at the beginning but then over time I sort of was like oh this is what that is that's a whole different thing and then I would start and then I did I did like five pilots back to back they were all sitcoms and None of them went to series, but they were all really good. I did a sitcom with Steve Carell called HUD, which was basically like Get Smart. And he was like, he was like the Get Smart guy. And I was like Agent 99, but that didn't end up going to series. And I did a show called Chicks, which was with all the writers and the creators of Seinfeld. It was right when Seinfeld had ended. And that was sort of like Friends, but without the boys. It was called Chicks. 
<laughs> so I did a whole run of these sitcoms and that was really, really fun, but it just, things, things were different coming back and it was a whole new sort of voiceover work was also right. something that I never even thought of or considered because things just kept changing. And I never even considered that that would be an option for me. And one of my friends at the time was a voiceover actress and she has this very sexy, raspy voice. She would do things like kids. They're good. Like very <laughs> sexy things. Uh-huh. And she's like, you have a great voice. You should do cartoons. And I was like, no, I don't have a sexy voice. I'm, I sound like a little girl. And she's like, well, you could do like Mattel commercials, like Barbie's hair changes color and water, like that kind of a thing. <laughs> right. And I started auditioning for voiceover stuff. And one of the first big, I got some ads, but then my first big voiceover thing was for the Clone Wars. Right. Dave Filoni, who now directs The Mandalorian and um, is like George Lucas's right-hand man now, cast me in the Clone Wars. I think one of the reasons he cast me was he was a big fan of the journey of Natty Gann. He is obsessed with wolves. He loves wolves. And he loved that movie. And he was surprised when he heard my voice audition that I was doing it. And he cast me and it really changed my whole, I I just, he opened up a whole new avenue of this business to me. And voiceover work is literally like the greatest thing that's ever been invented in the history (laughs) Uh of time. You don't have to memorize your lines. You don't have to look pretty. (laughs) Um, And it's super fun. And working for Dave Filoni, he sort of, he's such a great director. Like he, you know, you're doing animation and you're not really seeing it because you record the voices first. So he would describe this world and he would make the scenes so vivid that your performance, that he could really get a real performance out of you because you felt like you were in the scene doing being your character. And he was just the perfect director to have start me on my voiceover career. And I was so lucky. I I ended up playing the biggest role I played on the Clone Wars was Barris Afi, who is Ahsoka Tano's best friend. She's a Padawan. Um, Luminara. uh, uh, Oh my God. Am I going to forget her name? Luminara Unduli. Am I forgetting? Mm -hmm. I I think think that's right. That's what I was going to say back. I think it's Unduli, but uh, if we're wrong, we're wrong together. Played the character. And, um, she was my Jedi master and I was her Padawan right when Anakin Skywalker had Ahsoka as his Padawan. And it was just awesome having like girl power on sort of all my roles that have been my favorite have been really strong women like Natty Gan, the role that I played. She's just this fierce, strong, independent girl against all odds, sort of following her heart to do what she wants to do and, and playing Barris Afi and Ahsoka Tano too. these women, I think Dave Filoni having created this avenue for women to really shine yeah, was such a great experience for me. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, the arcs that you're in, in Clone Wars really still stand out as like some of the best, right? I think, I think you're in nine episodes and like the, the journey of Ahsoka, obviously leaving, leaving the Jedi order is Barris is a huge part of that. And I'd be interested. I love that you were talking a little bit about Dave's style and how he was in the recording booth and everything like that. I know with some of Clone Wars, a lot of focus was brought into having everyone together as much as possible. I don't know if your experience is reflected oh, yeah. that or if you... That was... Actually, that was so helpful because there were so many veteran voiceover actors like... Oh my God, I'm going to forget everybody's name. James, who did the voice of... Oh my God. Everybody's name is slipping me right now. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Yeah. Um, James, is it Taylor? Yeah. James Arnold Taylor. Right. But Dave having 
all the actors together, recording the scenes together in the recording booth, first of all, made the scenes flow so much more easily. You're actually, you're all there together working together. There's so many shows that you do where you individually record your lines and hope the other person sort of has the same reaction to your performance that you would in the room, but it doesn't necessarily happen that way. Dave made extra sure that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, all the actors were there together. And just watching these incredible voiceover actors was so helpful to me. Just phys- the physicality in the room. It's not just your voice. I mean, people are moving. People are expressing themselves and using their hands to gesticulate. And every, you know, it's a whole, it's just a whole different kind of performance. And watching the other actors sort of gave me the freedom to realize, oh, that you can be as big as you want. You can, you can do all these physical things, even though nobody's seeing you, it does come out in your voice performance. And then of course, watching some actors just play a few different parts in one scene Mm -hmm. and going back and forth between their characters while they're just standing there going one voice and the next voice, then back to the first voice, then to the third voice. (laughs) Like it's just, it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, it really is a, a testament. I think the most recent example is D. Bradley Baker doing like every voice well, in the bad bad. He have, yes, and he'd be in all the sessions with me, and I would just and then also he's amazing because while you're waiting for them to, you know, while the director and editor and everybody's in the booth in the engineering booth, and you guys are in the recording booth, and you sometimes have to wait for them to do stuff. Uh-huh. D would just sit there and make all these, these like strange little noises with his mouth. And you're just like, how does he do that? <laughs> what he? And just watching him like, just play around like joking off when he wasn't recording, but these people are just beyond talented D especially. I mean, all of them, but yeah. No, I love it. And then, I mean, it's, it's funny seeing you then become part of, you know, Matthew Wooden, David Cordlove with force awakens and being a voice there and then coming back for rebels briefly. Oh, well, it was because of Matthew Wood that we got to do The Force Awakens. Matt, well, first of all, Academy Award, million time winner, Matt. (laughs) Um, He, when he was doing the sound editing for The Force Awakens, usually movies will have like loop groups that come in to do the background noise for TV shows and stuff like that. And um, there are groups that you can hire. There are loop groups. They specifically do background noise background dialogue stuff that you don't really notice but it's playing in the background and matt asked the entire cast of the clone wars like sam witwer and matt lanter and ashley all of us we were asked to be part of the force awakens and it was incredible and so i was actually i my voice is in the whole movie throughout in the background but i have i do have one standout um line with carrie fisher in one scene some extra is handing carrie fisher uh, a folder or something and and she and I say, Commander. <laughs> so you do hear me say one thing. Um, but basically it's all like alien noises or background noises. And you know, we're the whole cast of the Clone Wars is through the entire film. But that was so special. And it was because Matt, you know, we're all friends with him and he was just super cool and asked us to be part of it. That's great. No, Matthew Wood came to Dallas one time when I was a kid. And he was in, I made a fan film when I was 12 and he is in my Star Wars fan film from whatever. So Matthew would uh, hall of honor here at Talking Me 94 for sure. Well, listen, fan films and being a fan truly 
if you are passionate about something and you like something, Dave Filoni is the the epitome of your dreams coming true because he was a true fan yeah, and he knew more about star Wars and his love of it made George Lucas like see his brilliance. And because he was such a huge fan, he became a part of the universe, part of George's world and really his right-hand man on creating more shoot offs of the original and being a fan is well, it just means you have passion and you care and there's nothing better than being a fan of something. Yeah. And I think being, being a creative fan as well, taking that extra leap of, of, of transforming your fandom. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. A fan who also has creative input and wants things to continue in a, in a way. And so fandom with creativity and ingenuity and, you know, perseverance. Well, I'd love to talk about projects you're working on now of course yeah did you get my text uh i'd love to talk about that (laughs) your listeners are going to be like she didn't answer your question just now you said did you get my text and she didn't say (laughs) um (laughs) for the listeners out there who don't know i am married to Patton oswalt who is a comedian and also a fabulous voiceover actor um and actor in general and we started a podcast this year called did you get my text well the pandemic happened. My husband's a stand-up comedian, so he does a lot of touring around the United States. And at the very beginning of coronavirus, his tour got shut down because of coronavirus. You know, there was no traveling, there were no venues open, and all of the shows got shut down. And as actors, we had nowhere to go and nothing to do. And so we we thought of doing a podcast and we we call it Did You Get My Text? Because Pat and I met through a mutual friend and the first three months of our relationship was a texting relationship. Mm-hmm. We did never met in person. We met online and we ended up texting each other for three months, two hours every night, just texting back and forth. And we fell in love over text. And then we met in person and fell in love in real life. But we do live together in a house and he's a very creative person and a writer and really likes his solitude and likes to be in his own room, doing his own thing, being his creative self. I'm doing my own thing and we're in the same house, but instead of screaming to each other all day long, we just text each other all day long, but we never really get a chance to sit down and talk about the things that we've been texting each other. (laughs) Uh Um, So the podcast is literally the perfect opportunity just to give us an hour (laughs) to have a real conversation in person. And we'll go through the things that we've been texting each other throughout the week that we never actually got a chance to like sit down and discuss. I mean, we might send a text and then give a thumbs up or like an, Oh, that's cool. But never get into like the conversation behind what we're texting each other. So uh, that's what our podcast is about. And you know, it touches on everything, politics and news of the world and things of today and stupid, ridiculous things that mean absolutely nothing except that everybody relates to because it's life. Right. No, I love it. I'll put a link in the show notes and everything. Cause it is and for, for me. It's because uh, I just got married this summer and me and my wife, oh. she, she moved into my 500 square foot studio apartment. She's I think trying to hide, hide the, the bedroom right now, but it is like, just, see, just, you could be even in a small room and she could be, te- I mean, literally you could just be sitting on the couch and think of something and just want to text it instead of having right. a whole huge conversation. Right. Right. No matter how big your house is or how small, (laughs) people often text each other. And this is the most embarrassing thing. The other night, Patton and I were both in bed. We were just like both reading our phones and he was facing his way. We were back to back just on our phones, you know, scrolling as you do. And 
he said, oh, I want to show you this picture. Turn over and look at this. And I was like in the most perfect, most comfortable position uh-huh. with the pillows. Like my neck was supported. Everybody, I was so comfy, cozy. I just got in the best position. And he's like, oh, I want to show you something. I'm like, oh, I don't want to like turn over and look at it. I just got in the best position. I'm like, just text it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're literally in bed back to back. And he sent me a text so I could look at the picture he was talking about. So I didn't have to turn my head and get out of the <laughs> position. That's how it. crazy it is. I love it. No, he, I know he he's a big Star Wars fan, and but he has not been in Star Wars as far as I know. Is he jealous that you got to be a Jedi in Star Wars and he has I, not? I think it gives me so much cred in his nerd world that he's able to say to his nerd friends, my wife is, <laughs> has wielded a lightsaber is in three separate um, star Wars entities. Um, <laughs> yeah. He loves it. And yeah, I think he's super jealous. <laughs> he should be. He should be very jealous. Yeah, no, that's great. He should be jealous. Well, uh, incredible. Uh, yeah. Mrs. Salinger, thank you for taking the time and telling these stories. This was such a blast and I appreciate oh my you, God, you coming the on the show. You're the person in the world. <laughs> um, thank you for asking me to be part of it. We didn't even get to talk about all the other Star Wars characters. Like I got to play George Lucas's daughter. So Papa Noida in The Clone Wars is the uh, animated embodiment of actually George Lucas. And so they created this character, Papa Noida, right? That's him. And he has children. And I play one of his, in real life, he has, is it three children? I think he has. Yes, yes. Um, and I think I play his oldest, Katie. Anyway, Shea Monway is in the Clone Wars, his daughter. And it's based on his daughter in real life. And so it was such an um, incredible honor <laughs> to be able to play his daughter. And I think Seth Green, who's a dear friend son. of mine, also mm. plays the son. Right. And so for for both of us, I know that meant a lot to Seth as well, to be able to play the animated version of George's children is <laughs> truly, literally like one of the greatest honors. Honestly, I, I was, even though Barris Offie was such a huge role and Shea Manwe was not, you know, in the script, such a huge character. Right. Just being part of that, the canon of the story, but also his life meant the world to me. Like it's definitely some Star Wars cred right there. Oh, 100%. George Lucas's daughter. Uh, I mean, nothing's better <laughs> than actually being his real daughter. I suppose. Right. <laughs> right. Incredible. Yeah. Cool. Okay, now you got that part. That's good. Thank you so much again to Mrs. Salinger for coming on the show and answering all of my dumb questions and just being such a delight. Check out her show with her husband, Patton Oswalt, called Did You Get My Text? The link is in the show notes. And thank you all for your patience during this break. Life has been very crazy, and I'm very grateful to be back. Upcoming episodes include Ian White, Scott Squires, William C. Dietz, and so, so many more already recorded. If right now you can leave a five-star rating and review for the show, it means a lot and really helps us out. So thanks so much, and until next week, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.